So, we are continuing a short series on discipleship. Uh, so, I want to start by asking you a question. See how much you were paying attention last week, slash how well did I explain myself. Um, what is a disciple? Actually asking. Can, I, can anyone remember how we defined being a disciple of Jesus from last week? Any answers? It doesn't have to be perfect. Just shout out an element that you remember, and then we'll build the definition. What do we think? What? A Padawan. Yes. For those three people who have seen Star Wars, you get with that one. What else? Uh, a follower of Jesus? Yeah, but what does it mean to follow Jesus? What, is, what does it mean for a disciple to follow a master? Imitate. To imitate. Yeah, really good. So we used examples of like the Gong Fu master. So, okay, I love making dated pop culture references, but this one actually has like a modern, uh, okay. So what's cool is all the movies that came out in the past, they started remaking them or doing like a spin-off of the really old movie. So how many people have seen the original Karate Kid? The original Karate Kid. This is a really old movie, and so recently they came out with a Netflix show named Cobra Kai. It's a really, really old, ancient movie. Um, the, 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 a ty Tyrannosaurus Rex and a, a, like a Velociraptor got together and they filmed this movie called Karate Kid. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a new show called Cobra Kai. But in the original Karate Kid movie, there is Mr. Miyagi, who is a karate master, and there's Daniel-san. So I, I always like identify with Daniel-san, because my name is Daniel. And uh, Mr. Miyagi started teaching Daniel karate. And over the course of the movie, you actually learn a lot about what it means to be a disciple. So there's one iconic scene called Wax On, Wax Off. Do you guys remember this one? So, Daniel-san is trying to learn karate, and Mr. Miyagi is all enigmatic. He's like, oh, so you want to learn karate. Uh, first, you must learn to defeat yourself, or I don't know, whatever. Um, so then he doesn't tell him what to do, uh, or he doesn't tell him like, how to like, punch a guy in the face. He starts by having him wash his car. And so he says basically like, wax on, wax off, right? And the whole time, Daniel-san is like, this doesn't make any sense. What am I learning from this? But the whole time, Mr. Miyagi had a plan. He's actually teaching him how to deflect someone when they're karate chopping. You just wax off. And then someone attacks from this side, wax on, or whatever. And so he doesn't realize, yeah, what you got? Yeah, yeah, sure, I don't know. The, oh, the new Karate Kid with uh, Jaden Smith or whatever? Yeah, I, I think I might have watched like five minutes of that one. And then I started uncontrollably vomiting, and so I had to stop. So anyway, um, anyway, I'm just being snobby. So the idea is, if you're a disciple, number one, you have to commit to a master, right? So Daniel-san has to say, oh, Mr. Miyagi, I commit to being your master. And then to commit to a master means you have to learn from them, right? You have to learn what they say. You learn their teachings. And the purpose of committing and the purpose of learning is to become like the master. And so if you think about this, uh, another way of saying this is to be a disciple is to be an apprentice. And so uh, in like blue collar manufacturing jobs, if you wanna become a plumber, what do you do? Do you read a lot of books about plumbing? 
No, absolutely not. Because this is an embodied practice. And so being a student of Jesus is in some ways like the schools that you guys go to, learning from a teacher, but in many ways it's not like that. For you guys, learning is about accumulating information so you can regurgitate it on tests, right? There is no embodied practice. But in this time, a disciple would find a master that they admired, find a master who could do something they couldn't do, right? So Mr. Miyagi, he like could beat up a bunch of people and so daniel sons like, I'm getting bullied, I wanna learn from this guy so I can beat up a bunch of people. So he learned, he, he admired something about him and then he committed to him and he committed to learn to him for the purpose of becoming more like him. And in Karate Kid, what you learn is sometimes the master tells you to do things you don't understand. Why? Because he knows better than you. <laughs> because the master, by definition, knows stuff you don't know. And so sometimes Jesus will ask you to do things like wax on, wax off, and you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But what's really great is Jesus will actually explain himself really well. And the more you embody his teaching, the more you live it out, the more you experience and understand the wisdom behind his teaching, okay? So what we've been talking about, what's a disciple? Um, we, as a disciple of Jesus, what formed Jesus? What did Jesus do that we can emulate? And so what I'm really excited about is um, the today we're going to talk about uh, what basically transformed and made Jesus to be the person that he was, okay? So uh, if you ever see, like, um, I was talking to Levin the other week, and Levin is into Olympic lifting, right? I'm not into Olympic lifting. Olympic lifting is the thing they do in the Olympics where they, like, toss a bar up over their head, and they catch it, and then they squat down, and they press it overhead. It's really, really explosive. It's really, really crazy. And there are a few Olympic lifters um, like China's really good at Olympic lifting. There's a guy who's like maybe like 80 kilograms and he can throw over his head like 200 kilograms, which is insane. You get me? He, he, he weighs like 200 pounds and he can throw over his head 440 pounds. And when you see someone do that, you're like, man, that's incredible. They can do something I can't. Now, when we look at Jesus, this is one of the weird things about Christianity. When you look at Jesus and you see the life that he lived, you probably think to yourself, I could live like Jesus just as easily as I could throw 200 kilograms over my head to do like a clean and jerk or a snatch or whatever it is. But in order to learn what it takes to do those type of Olympic lifts, you imitate the training and the formation that goes into equipping that guy to be able to do what he did. And the, the difference between that and what Jesus says and does is he promises that we will actually become more and more like him as we do it. And so what's really incredible is the things that you thought you never could do become possible as you follow what Jesus did. So let me give you a couple of examples. The great commandment, what they call, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is basic, very basic Christianity, right? Love God with everything and love others the way you love yourself. The second you try to do that, 
If you take that really seriously, the second you try to do that, you realize, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't love God with everything. And I can't love, like, when my family irritates me or does something hurtful to me, there's no way that I can love them the way that Jesus loves people, right? You might think that to yourself. And, but what Jesus says is a disciple, this is from the, the chapter, uh, book of Luke, a disciple, when they are fully formed or trained, will become like their master. Where Jesus says, you might not be able to do that now, but if you follow my way, the way of Jesus, increasingly you will be able to manifest and live out the love of Jesus for God and for other people. Now, it, the most important practices, okay, there are a lot of Christian practices that people do. Um, people talk about things like silence, where you go out to somewhere and you just don't talk. Amber, this might be challenging for you. Don't, don't talk. No, no, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But uh, here's a challenge for you. Don't talk for five minutes. Could you do it? How about 15 minutes? How about an hour? No? Okay. So, but, but it's a way of training. So, um, you know, uh, monks would do this. And people who, have, who follow, uh, who are Christian, who do spiritual practices, they, they have silence retreats. So sometimes the really intense people, they go off to like a Catholic uh, monastery and they won't speak for two days. For a whole weekend, don't say a word. And really strange stuff begins to happen. You kind of go crazy, right? Because you're not allowed to speak. That's one practice. But when you look at the life of Jesus, I think there are two major practices and I would say these are the most important practices. All the other practices should be in service of these two practices. And different people might argue about what these practices are. But I think this is what, uh, what we see in the Gospels. And so I would just say it's impossible to do what Jesus commanded without submitting to his training, his training regimen. The practices that he did, if you want to do what he commanded, you have to, in a sense, submit yourself and embody the practices that he observed, right? And in the Great Commission, it says, teaching disciples to obey everything I commanded, right? If you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, it's important to look at Jesus' life and see what he did, right? Uh, so what did he do? Um, I think there are two important ones. The, most important, the two most important ones are, number one, Jesus deeply learned Scripture, and this basically means Jesus deeply learned the Hebrew Bible, and he knew it super-duper well. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to see how he used the Hebrew Scripture. Um, and then the second one was prayer, where Jesus was a really busy guy. And so uh, when I talk about discipleship, when I talk about these practices of Scripture and prayer, uh, the, the most, most common number one objection everyone has is, I don't have time for that. Daniel. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. We'll talk about that later on. But what you notice about Jesus is he was a really busy guy. He was a celebrity. There are crowds of people following him around asking for miracles and autographs and taking selfies with him. And yet he still had time and he made time to withdraw from the crowd and pray. And the sense you get from Jesus is not that prayer was something he felt like he was forced to do, but prayer was actually life-giving to him. And so Jesus, the way I understand this, one way of thinking about it is Jesus breathed in Scripture, 
The same way you take a deep breath and take it into you and you keep it in there. And then Jesus breathed out prayer. Another way of thinking this. Um, when Toby is, was learning how to talk, Toby first heard our voices and he heard us read books to him. And then something, he internalized it. Something was going on in his gigantic head, his gigantic round head. And over time, he was able to respond, right? And so in the same way, as, as believers, we hear from God through his word, and then we respond to God through prayer. You get, you get me? And so the, here's, here's where the analogy is going. Living the Christian life, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, can you do that without breathing? If you want to lift 200 kilograms over your head, can you do it if you only take in breath? Okay, I want everyone to take a really, really big breath and just hold it. Keep holding it, keep holding it, keep holding it. Don't breathe out, don't breathe out. Now lift Uncle Lawrence over your head. Go, go pick him up. Someone go pick him up. Have you breathed out yet? You're not allowed to breathe out, just breathe in. Don't, don't breathe out. Pick him up. He's, he's like, he's, he's less than 200 kilograms, so it'll be easy, right? Um, in the same way, uh, you have to breathe out. <laughs> you have to breathe out. And once you start embodying these practices, all of a sudden your body has oxygen. And you have energy. You have the ability to do things. And so the same thing I would say. Trying to live the Christian life without the practices of taking in scripture and taking and responding to God with prayer is like trying to live, the, live a life without breathing. These are so fundamental to becoming like Jesus. These are the things that characterize Jesus. And so you say you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you have time to take in scripture and breathe out prayer? Do you have time to breathe? Do you have time to eat? Do you, do you have time to eat from scripture? Now, I, I'm like, when I say that, some of you guys might be thinking, oh, here goes Daniel again. He's trying to guilt trip me into doing Bible reading, blah, 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 blah. That's not at all what I'm saying because we just preached through the book of Galatians. You are not saved by your Bible reading. You're not saved by prayer. But if you want to become like Jesus and you actually want to experience transformation in your Christian life, it is simply impossible to change without doing these practices. If you say you're a disciple of Jesus, but you never do these practices, then I wouldn't say you just got to like have willpower and do them. No, I would say there's probably something going on in your relationship with Jesus that's deficient or defective. And that's the reason you don't do them. Because you don't admire him. Because you don't love him. Because you don't think it works. Or something like that. And so here's the other thing. Um, we talked last week how Dallas Willard said, the word disciple appears in the New Testament 269 times. The word Christian only appears three times. Therefore, the New Testament presumes that every Christian will be a disciple of Jesus. However, in modern times, plenty of people are Christian and go to church and say they believe in God and different things without embodying and doing the practices. And this is one of the great reasons, according to Dallas Willard, that Christians are really angry and bitter and worried and abusive. Uh, there is no graciousness 
about people who follow Jesus. It's because we have not submitted ourselves, committed to learning from Jesus about everything. Now, the other thing I'd say is these are practices that are like breathing. And then the other element of imitating Jesus is simply doing the stuff, right? When you take in oxygen, there has to be some purpose for that, that you are expending oxygen for. So in the same way, the purpose of the Christian life is not to read a bunch of Bible and pray a lot. That's not the purpose. The purpose is for these things to empower and strengthen you to live out your life the same way that Jesus lived. You guys got me? And this will actually transform every area of your life. And so to be a disciple is to say, to ask great questions like, what does it look like for me to follow Jesus at my school? What does it look like for the way Jesus related to people? Um, how can that transform the way I relate to my family? How can, I tr- how can I forgive people the same way Jesus forgave them? How can I be gentle as Jesus was gentle? How can I be courageous? How can I endure suffering the way Jesus endured suffering? And it is all through these practices. So where do I get that? Let me read to you um, our first passage for today. Um, this is from Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read 1 through 11. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, and I'm not going to go that deep into it, but I, I just want to make some uh, observations, what we can infer about Jesus and his relationship with Scripture from this passage. So this is a very well-known passage in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. As I'm reading it, I want you to see what you can learn about Jesus' relationship with Scripture. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So what's going on in this? There's something really interesting going on. Uh, Number one, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. This is really, really interesting because if you're preparing for a test, um, you would think the best thing to do would be to like get a Eat a, eat a big breakfast, you know, like get, you get ready, you study a lot, you, you get ready for the test, right? Jesus does all the wrong things. He stays in a barren land, the wilderness. It's hot, it's a desert for 40 days and 40 nights. So he is physically exhausted, he's dehydrated, and he's weak. And not only that, he doesn't eat at all, right? 
40 days and 40 nights, and it says he was hungry. That's like a huge understatement, right? And then the devil comes to him. And so Jesus is at his most vulnerable. He's at his weakest. And the, the thing that Jesus comes to time and time again is scripture. You get that? So just a very cursory observation. The devil has three temptations for him, and each one of these, I'm not going to get in that much into it, but each time the devil tempts him, he responds with the three words, it is written, right? It is written. And so what's really interesting here is the fact that Jesus can speak three different times, it is written, when he is at his most hungry and tired, his brain is most foggy, means that Jesus memorized scripture, and he probably memorized huge chunks of scripture because he's able to pull out the exact verse that is most applicable to the moment. You guys get me? He didn't just say, like, John six, like the devil's like, oh, yeah, turn this, these rocks into bread. And then Jesus says, John 3.16, for God so loved the world I gave his love. No, that doesn't make any sense, right? It's not applicable. So he must have memorized a wide swath of the Hebrew scripture so that he could pick the right verse that was most applicable to the temptation, and he countered the devil's temptation with scripture. You get what I'm saying here? The first thing we learn is as Jesus, he memorized scripture. It is written three times, verse 4, verse 7, verse 10. Number two, uh, based on the same thing, Jesus deeply understood scripture. Again, he's not using just random verses. Uh, scripture is not a mantra. Okay, so uh, do you guys know what a mantra is? A mantra is something that kind of like has no meaning and you just kind of repeat, repeat it over and over again. So like, oh, right? That's like a mantra. It's, it's like you just make this kind of meaningless sound and it kind of makes you go into this like meditative state. In Eastern meditation, they have mantras or whatever. Jesus, he understood it. He was not just reciting something mindlessly. Another example, in um, our elementary program, Awana, the kids memorize a lot of scripture. They really do. And they get a reward if they memorize enough scripture. My wife, I can proudly say, is a recipient of the Awana Timothy Award, which basically means she memorized a whole ton of Bible verses when she was really young. She was very, a very motivated student. Um, do you remember a lot of them now? Uh, here's the other question. When you memorize them, did you understand what they mean? They meant. What percentage of the scriptures that you, you memorized do you think you actually understood? Now, I'm not trying to shame anyone. Understanding and learning from Jesus is a process, and you have to start somewhere. And so memorization is actually really, really important. It's a teaching tool, and it's an aid for understanding if you memorize it. So let me, let me give you, um, let me give you uh, an example. Um, Jesus memorized the verse where it said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he could take it with him for wherever he went. This is the benefit of memorizing scripture. Um, your tests are not at church, in a sense, right? The, the areas that you're tested the areas you're tested to be like Jesus are when you go out from here. And so if you don't memorize scripture, scripture cannot come to mind in a situation where you want to like, I don't know, like cuss out your uh, younger brother or whatever it is, right? 
No scripture comes to mind because you don't know it. You don't memorize it. But the second thing is you have to understand it. You have to understand the, uh, what scripture says. Okay, you guys are with me. I'll keep going. Number three, this one is really interesting. And this is what, back to the oxygen illustration, Jesus was nourished by scripture. So when the, when the devil tempts Jesus to turn a rock into bread, Jesus is like, man, I'm hungry. I sure wish, does he say, oh man, I'm sure, I sure wish I could turn this rock into bread. I really could use some bread right now. No, he actually says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was referring to a story in Exodus where the Israelites were, were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they had no food. And so every day, they would have to rely on God providing for them manna or bread so that they could survive. And so what he's saying is, um, I am completely reliant on God for survival. And not only that, he's saying, you don't only live on bread, but you live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I want to like unpack this for a little bit. Do you actually believe that this is true? Do you actually believe that this is true? Um, probably not, because you're like, whatever, I don't, I don't need the mouth of God. I don't, need, I don't need the word of God, whatever it might be. But let me, let's think about this for a second. We were singing the song, So Will I. And in So Will I, okay, let me use an illustration. So uh, in so, so Will I, and in this illustration, it's communicating a specific truth about Jesus that you can find in Colossians chapter one. So there's an illustration that um, an university speaker uh, said when at, a Tim, at a conference when Tim Keller was in college or slightly after college, and it stuck with him forever. And in a lot of his sermons, he references back to this illustration. Uh, her name was Barbara Boyd, and she gave this illustration. The distance between the earth and the sun is 92 million miles. If the distance between the earth and the sun were the thickness of a piece of paper, the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 300 miles high. I'll say that again. One thickness of paper. This piece of paper is 92 million miles. The distance between, the diameter of the galaxy that we're in would be a stack of papers 300 miles high. So a ream of like 500 papers is like a few inches, right? So a mile has like 5,280 5, feet. That's a lot of reams of paper. That's one mile. Multiply that by 300. That is the diameter of the galaxy. And guess what? How many galaxies are there in the universe? Our galaxy is a tiny little speck in all of the universe. And then she says this. Jesus holds together the universe with a word of his power, and you're trying to treat Jesus like your butler. Let me explain that. In scripture, Colossians says that Jesus holds all things together. You get me? And so in this passage, when it says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, if you're a Christian, what we believe is that Jesus holds the universe together. If, we're, if you're a Christian, you believe that God created everything, God numbers our days, 
where the only thing keeping us from falling out of existence is God speaking, God choosing, God deciding. And so we are so incredibly dependent on the word of God to survive. Not only this, um, the word of God it will nourish our souls daily. And without having nourishment from scripture, our souls will starve and shrivel. And this is just something that you can both see in scripture, but you can also see in experience. Um, on one hand, uh, YC and Rupert, I remember we were having a meeting with them uh, in the library when I was an intern here. And, you know, if you know Rupert, the pastor on the Chinese side, he's always gallivanting all over the world, like speaking at conferences, like doing all kinds of stuff. And then he comes back and he preaches again and he meets with people at night and has Bible study with them. He's constantly doing all kinds of stuff. And I, I just like, was, he was sharing about his traveling and his schedule and he's like, you know, in his 60s. I'm like, dude, I'm like 25 and just hearing about what Rupert does is exhausting to me. How do you guys do it? How do you keep on doing all of this ministry? And they basically said, the word of God nourishes us. That's basically what they said. They said, when you learn to be nourished and gain strength from scripture, you have the power and ability to do more things than you ever thought were possible. And so in the same way, if you take seriously what Jesus is saying here, he's saying the only way that I can resist the devil is by being nourished by the word of God. The only reason I can obey the will of God in my life is by being nourished by the word of God. The only reason I can love my family, um, I can love my siblings, I can love people and live as Jesus did is by being nourished by the word of God. And so, um, real quick, the final thing we see from this passage, is this the final thing? Yeah, the final thing we see is Jesus shaped his priorities according to the word of God. And so this is another one that I think is really interesting. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the, wor the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. What's going on here? The devil shows him the kingdoms of the world. And based on the fact that Jesus created the universe and that God is king, Jesus already had the right to reign these kingdoms. The reason Jesus came to the world was to be a Christ, which means to be a king. And so the devil was actually tempting Jesus and he was saying, you can become king without the suffering of the cross if you just bow down and worship me. And so uh, there's, there's something really interesting that happened. Um, I never knew this story before. Uh, our former pastor, P Peter Fong, told us a story uh, at our house uh, when we were talking about money, being a disciple of Jesus as it pertains to money at our young adult group on Wednesday night. And he said when he was, um, his dad moved from China, and the way he said, he said this is, he was a beggar in China before he moved to the States. And when he moved to the States, he started doing tailored, handcrafted suits in San Francisco. And he started becoming fabulously successful and extraordinarily wealthy, a multimillionaire based on his suit store. And so my, uh, Peter Fong, our, our former pastor, um, he basically became a Christian when he was in high school, and then he felt a calling from God to go into ministry and become a pastor. And 
when Peter was either before he went, left for college or when he was at his first year in college, his dad took him on a trip. His dad took him on, on a trip to New York City. And they stayed at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, which is a fantastically expensive hotel. And he took him around the finest stores with all of the fancy clothing. He showed him the like models, the fashion. And he even said, my dad wanted to take me to Fashion Week in Paris because these were the circles that his dad ran in. And the whole reason he was telling him all of these things was try to, to try to convince him to not go into ministry. It was try, trying to convince him, this is what you could get if you follow me in my footsteps and take on the family business. It's just like the temptation of Jesus, right? And so Peter was faced with this choice the same way Jesus was faced with a choice. What will his priorities and values in life be? Will they be shaped by the world, by what everyone says, by what you see on Instagram or TikTok, like all the influencers with their Bentleys or whatever cars? Like, is that what you want? Or will your priorities be shaped by scripture, where it says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So who is the first most important priority in your life? What is, what is really important to you? Are you shaped by scripture when it comes to your values? Will you worship God or will you worship money? Which one are you going to choose? And Jesus responds, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left. Do you see how Jesus was completely, he internalized scripture, he soaked it in, he understood it deeply. And so what are the implications? If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, now I'm only saying this, I'm only saying this if you have an interest and desire in following Jesus and becoming like Jesus and learning from him. If you're not interested in that, you're not there yet. <laughs> you're not there yet. I'm not, I would never tell you to, like I would say, okay, um, if you doubt that God is real, if you doubt that Jesus upholds the world with the word of his power, that he created the universe, all that stuff, you can investigate, you can ask questions, you can read scripture for the purpose of trying to see who Jesus is and seeing whether he's worth following. But if you already have decided you want to commit to following Jesus, the implications are this is an area of our lives that we need to orient ourselves around our relationship with scripture, right? So the question is, how can we memorize, deeply understand, be nourished and shaped by scripture? Now, again, some of you might be saying like, some of you might be feeling guilty or thinking how you haven't read the Bible that much. That is not my point. That is not my point. My point is, we want to hear from God. We want to be nourished by him daily. Like, don't you want to be transformed? Don't you want God to speak to you in areas that actually challenges your way of living? Because he knows so well, and he loves you, and he wants to give you rest and joy and love. And why would you ever expect to experience the benefits that Jesus promises if you don't try to put into action the advice he gives you? Right? And so... Um, uh, Jesus tells a parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is like a real zinger. Um, he says, uh, the, those who hear my word and do them are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The wind and the rain blew on the house, the waves crashed up against it, but it stood firm because it was built on the rock. The foolish man who hears my words but does not do them is like the man who built his house on sand. And when the waves crashed and the wind blew, the house was destroyed, right? Do you you hear what Jesus is saying? Uh, And again, this this is not for the purpose of guilt tripping you. This is just saying like, it just makes sense, right? If you want to be like him, imitate him. Try to, in, uh, try to take on his practices. But the other thing I would say to you, and we'll get more into this, um, some practical considerations, is in the definition of a disciple is someone who is a learner, right? And to be a learner means you have not learned it yet, right? You're not perfect. None of us are perfect disciples. And Jesus only gives us and only expects from us what we are capable of at this point as a student. So an illustration of this. Um, I love playing guitar, and I've taught guitar a decent amount. Like, prob- so I, I taught guitar in college for a few years, and then I taught a few kids guitar um, afterwards, like for maybe three more years after that. I've taught random people, all this stuff. So I've, I've done some teaching of guitar. And like, what, I, what is really difficult as a teacher is not giving them more than they can handle. Give them something very simple that is attainable for them so that they can feel like they're accomplishing something rather than overwhelm them with too much stuff. And I mean, I'm not great at that. You guys know. You guys know based on how long my sermons are. I'm not great at that. But I try. I try. And the the worst thing you can do as a teacher is to say, oh my gosh, you know, like I can't believe you can't play like uh, Dragon Force Through the Fire and Flames, like that's a crazy hard song, like a metal song. I can't believe you can't play that when you've been playing guitar for two whole weeks. Like it doesn't make any sense. No, of course you don't say that. You only expect them to learn the E minor chord. Two fingers, E minor. Have you got it yet? And then you can move on. In the same way, even when it comes to the practices of memorizing, understanding, living out, we are works in progress. And Jesus says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means if you feel like you failed when it comes to reading the Bible, what does Jesus think of you? He thinks, I love you. Can you try again? I love you. I never expected you to memorize the whole Bible. I never expected you to read through the entire Bible in a year. That can take a long time to get to that point. But it's so important that you keep on trying because you want to hear from him. You want nourishment. You want to be free. And so um, I just want to encourage you. Okay, so let's, let's look at five practical principles. For those of you who got baptized, for those of you who have some interest in uh, living this out, and again, what I'm trying to do is if you want more specific advice about what's reasonable to expect from you, then you can talk to Dan or I or you can talk to someone who you trust, and maybe we can give you like a realistic action plan for what you can do. People constantly give unrealistic plans for what you should do as a Christian. I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to be relatively general, and I want you to think about it rather than say this is unrealistic. So number one, just regularly hear the word of God, okay? Regularly hear the word of God. This doesn't mean you have to read the Bible every day. It doesn't mean you have to come to church every single Sunday. It means try to make some kind of effort and have some sort of plan to receive from the word of God. 
This could be through Christian songs, though those are a little bit, uh, the quality of the word of God in Christian songs depends. Um, so reading scripture is great, but doing Bible study with another person together is regularly hearing the word of God. Do that once a week. Coming on Sunday and trying to hear from, from the, the preacher is hearing the word of God. Okay? Regularly hear it. As you love the word of God more, as you experience transformation from the word of God, you start to think to yourself, wow, this is actually pretty good. I really like learning and reading from the word of God. I learn things about myself I never understood. I learn things about God that I can't believe. They're so wonderful. And so over time, as you do this, you should experience a deepening love of scripture. It's not simply because it's like brushing your teeth, it's good for you. No, regularly hear the word of God um, and God is actually giving you a love letter where you learn more about him. And it's his invitation to intimacy. But we'll take, so number two, memorize and meditate. So in order for stuff we hear on Sunday to translate into Monday afternoon, you have to take something with you. What I mean by that is if you can memorize something really, really small, or even just like one simple concept, right? So a, a sermon on discipleship, one simple concept is I want to ask Jesus how I can be his disciple at school. Just try to ask that question when you are at school. And it doesn't have to be like every single moment I'm going to focus on that. Just try to think as you're, as you're going from class to class, what might it look like for me to be a disciple of Jesus at school? Let me give you one more example. This is what I've been doing. And so when I say to do these things, um, I will let you know I live these things out imperfectly but I try to live them out, okay? I try to let my life be shaped by scripture and prayer, and I hope that you see that in me, in the way I am. I hope you can see that. This is something that's been really helpful for me. In Psalm 23, there has been one tiny little phrase that's been really life-giving to me. In Psalm 23, there is one phrase where it says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. I'm often very tired from chasing my little baby around. I'm tired from the demands that are placed on me from different sources. Trying to help my parents who are getting older, babysitting, sermon prep, like doing all this kind of, uh, trying to spend time with my wife. I, I can be often tired. And it's not just like a physical tiredness. It's an emotional tiredness. It's, a, it's like feeling like existential angst, whatever you want to call it. And so what I've been doing, and this has been so good for me, is when I feel empty, when I feel like I need strength from God, when Ashley and I just fought, I want to go to God and spend time with him and meditate on he restores my soul. Who is the one who fills me up, who restores me? who brings me to health, to spiritual health, to spiritual orientation where I see life the way I should see it. It's God, and I have to go to him so that he can nourish me and minister to me and care for me. And honestly, so I've been doing this. I've been sitting on one of our blue chairs in our backyard. Dog is running around, and I just sit there, and I, and I think, God restores my soul. And then I pray to him, God, can you fill me up so that I can live out the love and life you want me to lead in my family, in the people around me. And do you know what? It makes a huge difference. 
I feel like I have something to give my son rather than just like playing video games or being on my phone all the time when I'm trying to watch him. I want to actually engage with him because my soul feels refreshed and restored by God. In order to do that, you have to memorize and meditate on it. Number three, start small. Um, When people talk about forming habits, uh, I said this in a previous sermon, if you want to learn how to floss, don't learn, don't floss, don't say, I'm going to floss every single day, three times a day, and then you try to do it. Because what's going to happen is you will immediately fail, and then you'll give up and be discouraged. And so the, these are social scientists who have studied habit formation, and they say, if you want to um, actually embody a habit and keep on doing that habit, floss one tooth. Put your floss in a place that is most visible every single night, take it out, and just floss one tooth. And you're like, that's such a terrible idea. All your other teeth will be like really gross. No, no, no. Floss one tooth and do that every single day for a month or two months. And then you will actually have the habit. If you want, you can floss more than one tooth. But flossing one tooth is better than flossing no tooth, right? And then over time, you'll actually start to do it. So in the same way, start really small when it comes to Bible reading. Start really, really small. And I can't give you the exact thing you should do, but another thing I would say is just read the Bible periodically with someone else and then talk about it. That's something that you can do. It's something that's more fun than, you know, like hearing me preach or whatever it might be. Number four, reject perfectionism. If you don't understand something, that is expected and that is totally okay. If you go through a long period in your life where you never read the Bible and you have no desire to read the Bible, that is completely okay because you are not saved by your Bible reading. I had a baby. For about a year, it was really hard for me to do regular Bible reading. But in January, what happened was I was like, man, I'm really tired. It would be really good for me to be nourished by God through Scripture regularly when I'm at home. And so this year, I've tried to read through a devotional, which is uh, D.A. Carson. He's a theologian who writes a little blurb on Bible passages, and then it gives you four different passages to read through. And what's the date today? It's like August August 27th. So um, I have not read it every day. I am in May, and it's August. So I've missed quite a few days where I haven't read through this devotional but I've still read a lot of the Bible through this. And again, don't expect to imitate me because I've been doing this for a long time and I love the Bible. It's, it's still hard for me to do it, even though it's, I, I love it. So reject perfectionism and then just don't give up. So think in a completely different time scale. So ask yourself this question. If I were just to try very simply to do small things to hear from God for the next 15 years, How much more would I know after 15 years, right? Don't think to yourself, oh, I need to learn everything. I need to memorize everything. I need to understand everything. No, just uh, Eugene Peterson has a great phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. Just keep on going in the same direction. The same way you think about weightlifting for me, the same way you think about taking on any habit, the same way you think about being married, a long obedience in the same direction. Just keep on trying, and if you fail, It's okay, you are forgiven. Grace is there for you. You are not condemned. But then try to pick it up again. And the reason is because Jesus is so good. And so many of you might be thinking to yourself, I'm too busy. 
You don't know what my life is like, Daniel. And what I would say to you is, from Jesus' words in the temptation, um, are you too busy to eat? Are you too busy to eat? Uh, for young parents, we feel like we're too busy to eat because we're always feeding the baby. But if you go too long without food, you'll get cranky, and you'll get tired and hungry, and you will basically not be useful to help take care of the baby. You have no energy to walk the baby when the baby won't sleep. You have to feed yourself so that you can care for the kid. And in the same way, if you're too busy to eat from the word of God, the things that are suffering are extraordinarily important. Your ability to love your wife or your family is suffering because you're not feeding from the word of God. You guys get me? Um, uh, number three, I'm, I'm skipping number two, I'm too busy to listen to you. If you're too busy to hear from God, and this doesn't really connect with you at all, then it just simply reveals the state of your relationship with Jesus. You guys get what I'm saying? If I'm too busy to listen to my wife, there's something going on in my relationship that's not good. And if you're too busy to listen to Jesus, it probably means you don't trust him, or it probably means you don't really think he's worthy of following, you don't want to become like him, and that's totally fine. I would say you should want to follow Jesus, but that's where you're at. It just reveals the state of your relationship. Because Jesus says in John chapter 8, um, it, uh, you are truly my disciples if you abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you remain listening to me as your master. And then he says, if you do that, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so that's an amazing promise that Jesus has. Okay, and then finally, Jesus is asking too much. Um, I don't like reading. Um, I, don't, I don't have time. Like, these are, all, these are all things that simply reveal our priorities in life. Because the thing you care about most, you will make time for. You guys get me? The thing you care about most, you will make time for. And I'm not saying this is easy. So this is where, as a learner, what happens is we have to learn in our circumstances, current circumstances, what does it look like for me to hear from Jesus and hear from scripture? And it looks different depending on your life stage. If you're super busy during finals week, what does it look like for you to hear from Jesus? If you're super busy during college apps, what does it look like for you to hear from Jesus? It looks different depending on the stage you're in, okay? Um, the final thing I would say is, why is Jesus worth following? Um, Jesus is worth following because he says in, like, this is the passage I read at the end of last week. He says in Matthew 11, uh, 28 through 30, um, come to me. He says, I want to invite you not simply to be instructed by me, not simply to have a master-servant relationship. He says, come to me. You are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says in John, I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. The biggest reason to hear from God's word is because it is an invitation to have intimacy with God and the creator of the universe. If you love basketball and Michael Jordan or LeBron James came, to, came up to you and said, I will teach you how to play basketball. And not only that, I want to be friends with you. Like, do you want to go hang out? What would you say? You would be overjoyed. I would be so happy. I would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I get to ride around on Michael Jordan's yacht. Like, this is the best. And in the same way, who is Jesus? He created the universe. 
He created the world. He holds it together with a word of his power. And he is paying you the ultimate compliment of saying, I want to be intimate with you. I want you to be my friend. I want to teach you. This is an incredible invitation. And if you're tired, if you, the way you're living your life is not working well for you, and your soul feels shriveled and dead, Jesus is saying, come learn from me, and I will give you rest, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. G.K. Chesterton says, uh, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. He's saying the Christian life, it's not that people attempt to do the Christian life and then find it sucks. He says, the Christian life has been found hard and not tried. You get me? It is hard to follow Jesus in the world we live in. With all of the pressures you're dealing with, with all of the distractions and all of the things going on in your life, all of the stress, all of the difficulties, all of the suffering. It is hard, I know that. But it is worth it. The Christian life is worth it if you try it. Because Jesus doesn't expect perfection from you. He wants you to learn and he wants the heart of someone who says, I want to learn from you. That's all he's asking. And then he promises, if you do that, you'll experience freedom. You'll experience joy. In your most busy situation, Jesus says to you, I want to give you rest. You hear me? Even like wedding planning, I don't know, <laughs> for Tammy. Even wedding planning, scripture can nourish you, scripture can get you through. It doesn't have to be crazy. Meditate on he restores my soul as your wedding planning and just do that and God will restore your soul and help you get through, okay? So I, I just hope you guys can do this. Jesus has such an incredible offer, an incredible invitation to rest in intimacy. Um, will you do it? Will you follow his way and experience the goodness of his invitation? Um, or will we just simply not um, and experience uh, the difficulty and drudgery of life apart from God and the hopelessness? Uh, that's the question for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray you would reveal yourself to us in a way that would make us fall deeply in love with you so that we could commit to you and learn from you um, and be like you so that we can experience rest and so that we can make disciples who are like you. Um, I pray you would do that. Only you can change our hearts. Only you can reveal yourself to us in a ways that convinces us of your reality and your love for us. So I pray, Father, that you would, um, yeah, you would, you would open up our blind eyes to see you clearly and follow you. We need you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.